Hi, everyone. I'm Anita Lustria, and for many years I did live radio. Then I transitioned to the podcast world where I feel I found my home. I love talking about spiritual formation, justice issues, and spiritual practices. Throw in the Enneagram, movies, and current events from time to time, and that's what you get on the podcast. I'm glad you've come along for the ride. Welcome to Faith Conversations. Welcome to Faith Conversations, everyone. I'm glad you've joined me again today. Uh, you all know I'm Anita Lustria, especially if you regularly tune in. But um, hey, I'm always hoping that there are some new people along the way. And I know that to be true in the podcast realm. So welcome if it's your first time to Faith Conversations. You're going to be glad you tuned in, downloaded this podcast because I have Lisa Cologne DeLay on with me. I have known her name for many years because she's a fellow podcaster. But honestly, today is the first day I have made her acquaintance. She is now a fellow author. <laughs> and so I'm excited about that because she has some really good things to say. And she, her writing is excellent. I am thoroughly enjoying her book, The Wild Land Within. Uh, who doesn't love that title? Well, if you're in the spiritual formation world, like I am, I love that title, The Wild Land Within, Cultivating Wholeness Through Spiritual Practice. Uh, I just want to buy these up and just pass them out to everyone. That's how I feel about it. I love <laughs> that anyway, idea. Don't you love that? Of course you do. <laughs> As an author, yes. Uh, well, let me give a quick introduction to Lisa. She's a teacher, a spiritual director. Uh, um, she's host of Spark My Muse and has had a lot of tremendous guests similar to the ones that you've heard here on Faith Conversations. I encourage you to check out Spark My Muse. Um, I found where you can find good podcasts as usual. Um, she has an MA in spiritual formation and has taught in all kinds of settings and uh, lives outside Philadelphia. I didn't even get to, before we hit record, I didn't talk to you about Philadelphia. Let me first say welcome to the podcast, Lisa. Thanks for joining me. I am so delighted to be here, Anita. Thank you so much for having me and, and for reading the book. I really appreciate it. Well, um, yeah, yeah, it's good. So that's why I'm reading it. <laughs> so I'll say that <laughs> off the top. Um, let me just say, I people know, a lot of people know that I'm um, from Maine originally. And I like to keep people thinking that I grew up there my entire life, but that's not true. I spent my early years there and then every summer going back and visiting grandparents and family because that's where they all were. But the bulk of my growing up years in elementary school was out, was in Philadelphia area, oh. um, in Plymouth meeting. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, James Martin and I went to the same uh, well, he went to the same high school as my brothers, I should say. I went away, ended up going away to a boarding high school. But he, uh, so James Martin and I were oh. both from Phil from Plymouth Meeting, which is a hoot. Oh. <laughs> so yeah. you're in that area, in the Philadelphia area too. I don't know if you're in the city or in well, the burbs. I just say Philadelphia because it's the closest thing. I'm I'm pretty much in the boondocks uh, out <laughs> towards coal country in, okay. in Schuylkill County. But yeah. That's the airport I fly out of if I'm flying out of an airport. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, um, I, I'm. this is your first book, right? 
yeah, I've done some independently published books, but this is the first one with a publisher. Okay. And I don't think I house. even realized that you did some mm-hmm. independently published books. So, oh, that's interesting. So this book is with Broadleaf Books. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I just want to ask, I mean, there's always a story why this topic and even this title, I mean, titles are really important. Uh, When it comes to a book, the wild land within is not a mamby pamby kind of title. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, what sparked in your heart and your soul to um, get you writing this book? Yeah, the the impetus really started back. This was a book very long time in coming and and I've grounded it in this imagery of a wild land within that we're taking a, a trip into this country within us. Um, but there's a lot of things that without that grounding feature, you'd wonder what is it happening? There's so many different things going on in here. Um, being that I studied spiritual formation, really caring about how do we transform? How can we heal? How do we um, become more like Jesus even when we've been through difficult times or traumas? has been something on my mind for just so many years. And I did notice that there were a lot of books that talk about spiritual practices that they've gotten kind of trendy too, like learn how to pray the hours or um, learn about centering prayer, welcoming prayer. And those are wonderful, wonderful things to learn. I think Um, for people who aren't as familiar, it can really liven up and refresh our time with God. But nobody was writing about what happens when you do those things and you get deep with God and you get more intimate. Some stuff can happen that surprises you. Some uh, some dross comes to the surface. And I think people maybe think that, well, once I start praying deeply with God, we're going to have sunshine and roses and sprinkles and unicorns. And, and it really can be very disturbing that sometimes anger will come to the surface, bitterness, old wounds, old memories. And I wanted people to know that is normal. That's not bad. You're doing it right. And God is going to work on those things and heal those things um, as they come up. But that's what the practices are actually for. So I wanted to accompany people with that. And I also wanted to write uh, from not just uh, some of my favorite people who got me into uh, thinking more about these things were Thomas Keating, Thomas Merton, um, Henry Nowen, and those are all white males that are priests. <laughs> and there's definitely more people out there and demographically than just those types of people. So I also wanted to bring in a lot more voices into the conversation that either have historically been left out or just really add to the robustness of our intimacy with God. Well, and one of the things I didn't mention in your uh, introduction is that you are originally from, from Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm, right. And, um, and so, you know, as someone who's part of, I, I'm, I'm making this assumption, but I think this is true. Part of the Bill Pock, uh, right. group mm-hmm. of people, right. Yes. Um, th- that's, that's an interest of yours, but I think it's interesting that you um, realized that's not what you were doing. You were having all these, well, because there are a whole white males writing about and in this tradition, true. Mm -hmm. It's true too. Right. Right. They're going to also suck up all the algorithms that get, yes, we're going to know about them first, but there are, um, you know, prayer practices, contemplative practices, 
that are from all different kinds of people from all over the world and then yes. historically through the 2000 years but sometimes we only concentrate on maybe modern uh, people or maybe you know maybe european Good. people and those mm -hmm. ones are the loudest and um i'm latina but i'm white passing so i've had a lot of privilege to to um to not be judged by how I look in those ways. But my family members, on the other hand, I've had this very, very adjacent view to people of color to see the differences that happen. And, and it's very, very much my awareness. And um, to know that when, when typically um, things are written typically, you know, in movies or in books, it's written with white people in mind. And there isn't a, even a thought about other stories. And it's not because people are horrible. It's unintentional usually, but there's so much left out then, you know, there's, yes. there's so much we're missing and, and yes. good news comes from the margins. You know, Jesus came from the margins. <laughs> Preach, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going through with my church currently a chapter of Luke per week. And of course, you know, a couple, we're still early on in the book, but Jesus unrolls the scroll. First time he stands up in the synagogue and what does yes. he read? He talks about people on the margins. Yeah. Uh, and what he came to do. And, and um, yes. And, and have you seen that? And have, has your awareness been there of, of that, of things starting to shift culturally, at least Christian culturally, if not broader than that, um, looking to other voices from the margins that um, are writing wonderful things that are a part of this conversation. And some have been for a long time. We're just now noticing. Right. Yeah, they've always the voices have always been there. They just haven't been listened to by the dominant group. But I'm seeing changes in uh, when you see changes in leadership of, of businesses, like when publishing houses hire different people, for right. instance, at the top, then you start seeing a variety of people uh, coming in. But it takes a long time for that to be in place and not just tokenism happen where like, oh, are we missing a black person? Let's get a black person up here, right. which is so different than being involved in leadership and problem solving with everybody involved. Right. So there is a something happening that's very positive to see. And um, the more the systems are disrupted of um, let's bring an I let's bring some help to this outside group here. Let's help them and gift them with something instead of saying, um, how would you like to be helped? Come and lead us <laughs> and, and help us help you instead of we're just deciding what the answers are for you. You know, it, it, the mindset has to kind of shift. Um, and I see that beginning and it's very hopeful. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, you talk early on in your book that, you know, we, we it's important to pay attention to our guides on this journey. Mm -hmm. And, and one of the things I think that is important to pay attention to is not choosing guides all our guides that look like, talk like, act like, you know, exactly like ourselves, right? Right. Yeah. Or we're not going to expand and um, and be privy to other views that really need to be paid attention to and taken into consideration. Mm -hmm. So I, I really appreciate that fact. Uh, I, I think one of the things you talk about early on as well is um, learning from ancient Christian spiritualities. So one of the things that I found really interesting about this, and, and I wanted to camp out here for a little bit, um, there are a lot of things that I think Christians generally are unaware of. If you've grown up yes. in, in Protestant Christian culture, even Catholic Christian culture, you know, mm -hmm. what, what is our, 
what is our uh, history? How, how it's not like <laughs> not like we're given a church history course mm. uh, in our churches, at least not the typical churches that I'm aware of. But mm. you you take us to school here, and so I'm going to ask you to put on your teacher hat for us, okay? okay? <laughs> sure. And and talk a little bit, um, maybe even more than a little bit about what it is that we need to learn from ancient Christian spiritualities, what, what it is that we have been missing, hmm. because I think we've been missing yeah. a lot. Well, one of the things that struck me the most was um, right after the apostolic age. So if you can go, go back in your mind and um, think about the disciples and the apostles in that original 12, and then all of the people who were also following along and knew them and they're taking over when Jesus has gone, uh, ascended into heaven. And in their lifetime, and then maybe the people right after them, church looked a certain way, and it wasn't uh, very organized. It didn't have a lot of hierarchy. It was in people's homes. But it did spread and grow. And as it did, um, cultural impositions came in in terms of how we do we want to organize and let's have a bishop of this city in charge of all these churches and as that happened culture crept in and all the bishops were men for instance even though plenty of women led and taught in the churches up until then it started looking more like um you know earthly kingdoms how they get organized and then there was this huge shift that happened where um it had been extremely dangerous to be a Christian. You were arrested, tortured, crucified, put in the Colosseums to be eaten by lions as sport, something fun to watch for them. And then in a matter of fairly short time, the Christians went from being um, harassed and persecuted to um, Christianity being the endorsed religion of the empire of the Roman empire. So this complete reversal happens all of a sudden you could be tortured the other way if you're not a Christian really. Um, and so what happens is of course, Christianity goes into more places in the world, but it also gets co-opted with empire. And I see that there's a, there's something that happens when, when that happens that uh, the good news isn't part of the oppressed anymore. It's part of the dominant, it's part of the violence and the domination of the empire. A lot changes and the city centers become the hubs of Christianity. So the devout Christians at that time, and we're talking like the, the 300s here, they're really disturbed by this. A lot of them are really concerned that all of a sudden it's the wealthy and the, the people with money, they start getting into positions of clerical power. They're buying their way in. And some of them are, some of them are devout, but most of them aren't. They just know that, oh, here's another way to kind of get up in society. My, my son can go into military or he can go into the church and, you know, we'll, we'll pay some money to the church and then they can get him in. So it's not really about devotion to Jesus, this peasant, <laughs> this peasant savior of ours. So a lot of them start leaving and going to the deserts of Egypt and Syria and giving up everything, giving up all the luxuries and comforts of the city life and of the endorsed religion to be uh, hermits and ascetics living with meager, um, meagerly in the desert and essentially in, in what they call cells. And that's why they're called cells in prison now, too, because the penitentiary is, is where we get this. Um, people will think about their crimes and reform 
um, and that's why they're called cells. It actually refers to this age, this time, and people lived in these small cells that were their homes. And then this was the beginning of monasticism. Uh, later on, as more people congregated, they would have a communal life together too, but a lot of their time was spent alone in prayer. So this is where some of these writings from their both men and women who go out to the desert and people come out to visit them and get insights, get prayer, get guidance, um, and try to sort out life. And some people join them for a little while. And this was such a, a huge part of early Christianity up to a half a million people were out there in the desert at one time in history. It's an enormous part of our Christian history that I didn't know a thing about until I was a full-blown adult. <laughs> well, and I think that that's what, one of the reasons I wanted you to talk about this, because I think yeah. there are a whole boatload of full-blown adults who don't really <laughs> know this. And and yeah. I, I'm, I'm thinking even of myself, I I, I mean, I, had, I studied church history in, in college, and so mm -hmm. I had some awareness, but I, but I was also, there was a certain slant to that church history that I was mm -hmm. Given and there wasn't a lot of emphasis put on this this portion of it. I probably learned more uh, of this in my spiritual direction training. Would be my guess if I looked back. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's interesting, and you make mention of this too, that the desert was uh, the proving ground for Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, and but of course, his his desert experience preceded uh, the, the desert uh, voices that you're talking about now, and so. They were they were getting away from that uh, new experience of what the church was becoming, um, mm -hmm. but also were they emulating Jesus himself? Absolutely, yeah. They, in fact, that that's where some of the the earliest monks talk about being tempted in the desert, being approached by demons and working out their yeah. demons. It's because that's what happened with Jesus when Jesus goes in to the desert to the wilderness place and the devil tempts him and that's the proving ground for jesus prior to his ministry so they are following jesus into the desert for this desert experience this purifying experience and it's one of devotion to god and so their writings really were you can still you know buy these writings the sayings of the desert fathers and mothers and they're about living a life of devotion and so at some of the ways that they pray were ways that have, I include some of these in the book and, and a little bit about um, Vagrius, who was one of the teachers out there, and he would also do a lot of transcribing. And he has some just fascinating and, and insightful teachings for people, whether you're going to be living in the desert, which most of us are not, or or not, um, they're still wonderful. The, the one insight that, that is so key, I think, that we're just getting around to understanding now in psychology all these years later, is that you are not your thoughts. You, yes. you can think things, but that's not you. That's a thought you're having, and it'll come and it'll go. And he was on to that. Yes. <laughs> he was he was nailing that down. And he was saying, you know, you're, and I explain it as weather in the book, but that weather comes in and then weather goes out. If you attach to the weather and you think, I'm an anxious person, I, that's all I am, I'm anxious. It's like, well, you have anxious thoughts, so do lots of people yep. and they come and they go and they can be mitigated in different ways. And, um, but that's not you, that's your thoughts. I and, love and that. Very insightful. Picture, yes. He's so ahead of his time and, and, uh, people didn't stay thinking that they, they really didn't, um, in history anyway, people thought that was, 
um, much closer to, to who you are as a person, then you can have a lot of shame built on, I'm this type, kind of person. Well, and don't you think um, in the West, I mean, Western thought, we, we, I mean, in, uh, this is an over a broad brushstroke statement, but, you know, we kind of toss away the old, it's like, what, 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 it, what's important is what we're thinking today. You know, what we've figured out right now, because we're right. brilliant today, <laughs> you know, yeah. forget, forget the past and all those good things. <laughs> I, th- I feel like some of, some of that's true of the West. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it's just true of humanity in general. I, that could be too. But mm-hmm. one of the things I really appreciate is then you take us, and I'll ask you to take us to school here too, <laughs> to West meets East, because I think this, stu- well, what you just said was really important <laughs> about, uh, um, you know, the shift in in Christianity. And, and actually, I, I before we go to West meets, meets East, because I think that's uh, important, I, I underlined um, this this section that you where you talked about because of yeah I'll just I'll just read it here it's always better in the author's words uh, or uh, you're talking about common folk and devoted followers of Jesus noticed a terrible and compromising shift a way of faith and community had restyled into an implement wielded for political power which you had said originally the people who followed the ways of Jesus knew him as a humble leader a humble healer, teacher, and impoverished prophet who fed the poor, healed the sick, and was crucified by the Roman Empire for insurrection. Somehow that word mm-hmm. <laughs> brought me to the current day, and it and it just made me think about the um, the way the church is um, being sifted and being split right now. I mean, it's completely speaks to current times. I just wanted to point mm-hmm. that out like more overtly. Mm-hmm. Uh, just was sort of, uh, yeah. s- I don't know if it was surprising to me, but it that's where it took me. Right. With um, once essentially Christianity has been used by empires to um, have to gain more power. And that's true in the United States of America and other countries too. It's used as a, a blunt object really. Um, but Jesus and Jesus could have become a political power. It, it could have happened. He could have become king. He could have. Uh, but he that was all available that way. But that was way, all, right, right. It was all available. That's really interesting. But and, that is not the way that he chose. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I think because people can change and be so devoted, that's easy to swing that into, you know what, this would work if we can change people's minds and hearts and get their loyalty, this could really work in a military fashion or in a national fashion. And that's happened again and again throughout history. We see this again and again. Um, we see it in, in Nazi Germany that was a, had quite a religious background to it. Um, and so it's not uncommon that empire takes religious things and uses it for its own good, right? And then it yeah. becomes very corrupted but there's usually a remnant of people who is like yeah it can't be about that it can't be about acquiring more money and influence and power and it has to be about like where are the fruits of that you know the the fruits of the empire are violence but we have a non-violence jesus who who eschewed any kind of power he he was into um you know he had his little group but 
you know, he ate with them. He didn't, he didn't say, I'm, uh, he said, you know, uh, 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 he called them friends. He didn't call them his servants. He, Subjects. <laughs> he said, that's what the Romans do. They, you know, but you're going to be, the last will be first. You will be known by serving each other. So he is actually anti-empire really. And that's the whole, kind of the whole point. And he, Jesus knows that when we start thinking of power and accumulation and influence, we get corrupted incredibly easily. And this, this is another section of history that goes right down in that too. And it's not to say that everybody who was a Christian during these times was evil or bad, but the, the Roman Empire was more than happy to co-opt with this religion and get everybody on board and then go and conquer nations with it. Yeah, I just want, thank you. I um, wanted to dig into that just a little bit more. And and now let, let's move to West meets East, because I think this is really important. This speaks a lot to the way I was brought up, and probably many listening to the podcast, if you were brought up in any kind of an evangelical uh, stream of, of faith, and probably Catholic stream as well, um, you're going to certainly recognize this. I think it's one of the reasons that I appreciate um, Richard Rohr, for one. There are others. But um, I think his view of West meeting East has really been helpful to me. But I, I would love for you to talk about this and um, do some explaining uh, about what, <laughs> what happened and how, what, what we, what the West the direction the West went, went, and, and then, yeah. and the, just the, you know, the split in the views, really. A lot of us who are Protestant learn about Christianity as it happened maybe 500 years ago, but not um, realizing that there was this huge split at 1000 um, AD that was the East and the West split. And even prior to that, a lot of things were shifting in people's understanding between the East, where Christianity began in the East as an Eastern religion, Middle Eastern, but uh, there's a lot of differences in how people from the East view the world compared to a Western mindset. And it's not and just, just let me inter out. let me interject this real quickly. You, you one sure. of the things you say because I think this will be helpful to the conversation that the spiritual mm -hmm. vocabularies um, changed, and and that's the thing one of the things to pay attention to um, as, as you're talking. I'm just gonna. I just wanted to throw that in there. You wrote, wrote that phrase, and that really was helpful to me. Yeah, so a word that you think means one thing actually means something totally different in another culture from where it, it began. So like the contemplation um, in our English word, used in English, it comes from contemplatio in Latin, but in Greek, the word is theoria, and that's the Greek word for where we get the English word for theater. So it's two very different things. Theater is where you watch something and as a spectator, as an engaged spectator. But contemplation is about where you're meditating in prayer. And so these shifts in language actually make shifts in our, in our spiritual formation. West going kind of in one direction, separating the mind and the body into two different spheres. But the East doesn't ever do that. There is no mind-body division. Everything is spiritual all the time, and there's no separations. And so we have to understand that Jewish people, that's how they, and maybe not so much in the West, but Jewish people and Jesus's people and Jesus's disciples thought about spirituality as the reality 
and not something that you like acquire into your life or that you have a sp spiritual sphere of your life. And so when we get our mind around that and read the Bible through that, those lenses that everything is spiritual in that culture, it really is different than seeing things through a Western lens. And um, I think we've been impoverished for the lack of, of understanding there because a cultural difference can, can mean the difference between when we think about um, you know, what we often will hear, well, there's this 18 inch gap between our head and our heart, right? Well, that is a, a Western construct, 100%. There's no such thing in a Middle Eastern or Eastern mindset that would even conceive of such a thing. That's just a false dichotomy. I, uh, I so appreciate that. I feel like Rob Bell is beats this drum a lot. Everything oh, is spiritual, everything sure. is spiritual. And I, I appreciate mm -hmm. that because, um, and I try and, I mean, I, think that phrase when I'm struggling to bring everything together, but where I've especially noticed it um, for me as a woman, and maybe you can speak to this is the, you know, disembodied heads. I, yeah. I, and I'll use that phrase. You use that yes. too. I appreciated that. Mm -hmm. feel like um, there's just a total disconnect, you know, cut my head off and, and my, and that my body doesn't matter or, mm. you know, good body, bad, especially right. as a woman, I feel right. like I've been, I, in my past, I've been taught that whether overtly or covertly. Right. I, I have to, my teaching as a younger girl was that your body is probably going to be some kind of entry point for, for sin or, or, you know, don't make someone stumble because of yeah. how your body is. And so you wind up when you're traumatized, it's an embodied thing, but we're, we're trying to figure out how to solve it in our heads, but our body, you know, our mind and our body, our brain is our body. So it so, is tricky, you know, to try to heal. So this is so interesting. This just like flashed into my mind. So this past summer I had a fall and I had a traumatic mm. brain injury, oh. like, you know, hematomas, fracture, brain bleed, like all this stuff. Wow. This just now dawned on me that, that this was a, a harming of my head, uh, <laughs> literally. Yes. And that since then, I have been much more interested and in paying more attention to my body and other, because of how th there's been a, it is, this did not wow. just affect my head. You know, it's been so yeah. interesting. It affected my whole body. I had to mm. learn how to walk and be balanced and, you know, yeah. um, again, and, and I've, I've paid more attention because physically I couldn't do some of the same things and I've moved mm. into the art realm. And anyway, it's just interesting. Oh. I had not even given a thought to that injury um, almost helping me become more of a whole person. Yes, yes. Yeah. And also, like, you know that to fix your brain, you have to move the rest of your body, right? Exactly. You can't yes. think your way out I of it. I couldn't think my way out of it, no. Right, and and that's what's so interesting. When, when I talk about trauma later in the book, and trauma is non-lingual, and this is what is so powerful. Trauma is in your body, and that's why when people say people are from a, a really um, difficult place um, in, and they are having a, their English teacher says, well, no, I want you to write about your life. And there's people who have such a hard time writing it because they are in trauma right now and there's no words for it. So they do a really bad job, mm. but it's because they're right in the middle of trauma and there's no words, their body's holding it all. And it hasn't even conceptualized into words yet. 
That's and, really interesting because I don't think I ever fully got the title uh, of the Vander Kolk book, The Body Keeps the Score. Yeah. It's it's like it's in the body and you don't even have words. That's really right. interesting. And it's also there's no clock. So your body trauma is in the present. It's not in the past. It's it's right happening oh, right now. Right. But in the West, you know, get over it. You know, <laughs> right. 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 Like, it's not in the present. That happened a while ago. Decades yeah. Ago. <laughs> right. And and your body says, oh, no, it's happening now. Wow. Uh, and, and then that's what a panic attack is like this dissonance between your brain. Your brain's going, no, nah, nothing to worry about part of your brain. Then the other part, the, the limbic system that is lingual or or trying to re puzzle it out is going, there's a problem. There's a problem. <laughs> and so it's it's really like uniting our whole selves of all the parts of our brain, the, the non-lingual offline parts that are just feeding us information. And this is where I'll say one of my guests, Hillary McBride, her, oh, yeah. her new book, The Wisdom of Your Body is you would love if you haven't read it, you will love it. And, and here I am promoting another person's book. <laughs> but it's just such a wonderful, helpful book for these kind of things. I'm, it's on my list too. So one of the things that happened since my injury, I've been listening to books. That's been, I couldn't read initially. Yeah. And, and so I've stayed with audiobooks. I just love them. And I've gotten through so many books that way, walking and listening. And hers yeah. is on my list to listen to and then have on the podcast. Awesome. <laughs> so um, yes, but since you mentioned that book, let me again say the title of yours, Lisa, The Wild Land Within. <laughs> <laughs> and which, by the way, I just want to let folks know that I'm, I'll have everything in the show notes, of course, but why don't you just say your website right now for folks that happen to have a pen in hand? Sure. It's just lisadelay.com or sparkmymuse.com. They both go to the same place. I put out um, a new audio every Wednesday and yeah, that's, that's where you find me. You, I'm pretty good with Google. So you can just put in Lisa Cologne Delay. It'll, it'll all go to you, but I'll, yeah. I'll have those. I'll have that both of those links. Um, actually, I want to, yeah, in the show notes. So um, you can find it there if you're jogging and listening or doing the dishes and don't have a pen, whatever you happen to be doing. Actually, I'd love to know what, what do you do when you listen to the podcast? You can shoot me an email or questions. You know that you can always send questions my way at uh, producer at anitalustria.com. So uh, say a word about, so I think I'm still, I'm kind of stuck here um, toward the beginning of the book, but I think this stuff is really good uh, and, and helpful about how the Roman penal system mm. has affected the way we under, likely affected the way we understand God. Again, this was so true in, mm. in my life, but I'd like you, Lisa, the teacher to kind of talk <laughs> a little bit about that, because I think that a light bulb will go on for some people uh, who've, who've really not thought about this or heard about it yeah um well one one way to do it is just by an example like you've probably heard the word um the phrase he committed suicide right he, he committed suicide that means like that's stated like a crime um and and it is actually considered a crime to kill yourself um i'm not sure exactly how you go to jail if you're already dead but <laughs> right the, the thing is is that a lot of things that we do um, that if you kill yourself, you are suffering greatly with a medical issue, and and because it is, it is unlike a, a mammal of any kind to kill themselves. So if something has happened that you would kill yourself, you had a problem that needed to be attended to medically, and so 
it shouldn't be criminalized. Like it, it just, yes. it doesn't make any sense. But that's something that's left over from the Roman Empire. And seeing seeing Christianity, seeing sin, not, not so much Christianity, seeing sin as a legal problem. Now, some people say, well, that's, but the Jewish people had laws too. But this is a kind of entire way of seeing repentance as a tribunal in which Jewish people did not see it like that at all. And so you can see this in ways that um, this comes out in all kinds of ways. But one of the ways that I describe is that, uh, especially in a Catholic setting, you might uh, confess your sin to a priest, for instance, and then the priest will say, well, how many times did it happen? And what exactly happened? And, you know, like all of the specifics of the case, right? And then, uh, you know, all right, well, how do you fix it? Well, you're gonna have to do this, this and this. But Evagrius, way, way back, he was kind of like, yeah, you're gonna do sinning, you're gonna do things wrong, you're gonna be tempted, you're gonna do things wrong. Immediately correct that, immediately correct it as soon as you know, and then do the right thing. He's about metanoia, repentance, turning back to God, and not so much the the punishment aspect. So the punishment aspect and the court aspect has everything to do with how a superpower runs things, which is through law and order. A superpower has to run things through the military and law and order, or everything goes, you know, into chaos. <laughs> so uh, in the book, I go a little bit into this is an influence in Western Christianity that you don't see everywhere in in the history of of Christianity, and you don't see everywhere as much as you see it here in in our united states of how our language shows that it's a kind of judicial process of how we talk about behavior in these kind of legal ways that is actually just human behavior but we've actually put it into these these judicial terms and it, it sort of doesn't make any sense you could say instead of he committed suicide is like um he he took his own life or, you know, something he like died that. died of suicide. That's what I. Right, right. He died of suicide. Yeah. Because it's like a, a condition. I mean, a, an illness, yeah. you know, needed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As soon as you say commit, it's right. like the saying you committed a crime. Crime. And see, a lot of things in our society and in our language reveal that we actually think of a lot of our behaviors as crimes. So yeah. it's it really can it's be really very damaging because that way it's it's very shame-based very punishment-based and that's not what god is doing Je jesus paid that <laughs> jesus yeah. paid that we have to accept we we can of course ask for forgiveness and repent all that is good but we have to realize that it's been paid it already was paid and so the best thing we can do is recognize it stop it immediately ask for forgiveness for the people and and try to um repair what's been damaged but the idea of thinking of ourselves as criminals all the time is really a bad way to go through life. It's kind of exhausting, too. <laughs> <laughs> it is, right. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Hey, one of the things you talk about is, and this is a big Western thing, too, I, I think, um, considering the heart as the seat of emotions within a person. Mm -hmm. um, I love the yeah. fact you said this. You said you're, um, in the book, um, you're going to only using the word um, heart is something you're going to try and avoid. Uh, <laughs> and I thought that was really interesting. And specifically, you say um, you're going to use terms like land within, 
you know, I mean, the book is titled The Wild Land Within. You're going to use land within, inner life, interior world. These are all ways to make the word heart, which has become trite or ambiguous, a bit less so. Yeah. Um, how, how did that, I mean, yeah, that's really, really true. I don't know how that came to be, but that's so true. Yeah, it does stand in for a lot of things. And, and in the Bible and how the Bible, the ancient people thought that the heart was the the center sort of like what we think of as the mind so it's the, the decision center of the person so when we're reading heart in the bible it's often we're misunderstanding it we're thinking all oh, that emotional passionate part and for the passions they thought of that in the ancient world as the guts the bowels and so when we're reading heart in the bible like the heart is deceitful above all things it doesn't mean that tick tick heart or the the metaphor for that is that the passionate part of the heart what it means is that decision making center is and not so much deceitful as as kind of hopelessly vulnerable unwell and and that's kind of the because our decision making center our will if you if you will is so easily influenced and corrupted corruptible and that's not you know that's another one of those language things where it can make it sound like we're deceitful and we're wicked, we're awful, but it's this cultural shift that um, since we've had these changes in, in our language and in our culture, you can get very different interpretations of things that, that were not meant to be shameful or um, we're meant to draw us to God, not show us that, that we uh, don't belong. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think we don't, uh, I think so often we, you know, we're reading the word on the page and we don't take into consideration the cultural context and mm -hmm. r real meanings of words within that culture. And I think you bring that out so well. Um, it, so it sort of sets us on, I think, a right path um, as you're getting us to move deeper into our interior world. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that you do, you have practices at the end, and, and I think good questions as well at the end of, of chapters. Sometimes they're related to the practice. Sometimes they're um, kind of standalone questions, but talk about why you think that it's important to introduce practices uh, with each chapter. Well, I wanted to give people a chance to, um, the, the reflection questions are really where the spiritual transformation part comes in, because we can just read something like, an audience, you know, and nothing happens. Yes. But if you get a chance to ask yourself things, keep a notebook and keep track of it. It's a, it can do more. Um, it can do like more gardening work in the yes. in the garden of your heart. And then the spiritual practices. I wanted to give a taste of a few different kinds so that people can not so that everybody does all of them just. But there's maybe one that resonates more uh, than the others. Um, there's like for instance on page thirty five is the examen or some people call it the examine practice. And it's really a kind of an inventory. Now, for some people, these type of inventory prayers just make them anxious. So maybe don't do this one if this makes you anxious. But some people like to um, go through their day at the end and just notice where, where did I feel God with me and where did I not feel God with me? And just kind of hand it all over at the end of the day, put it at the feet of Jesus and, and say, let's try again tomorrow and just kind of a way to shut the day down and, and leave it there at the feet of Jesus. Now, other people are going to be like, that wound me up and I couldn't sleep. So maybe that's not a practice. But I wanted to make sure that every chapter had 
some sort of thing that could help you dig a little deeper in. And a spiritual practice isn't any kind of magic. It's just a way to um, to grow an intimacy with God in, in a more special way. And some things will resonate for a time and then they won't. And, you know, I don't, um, I have some that are very specific to me and very ones that I go back to again and again, but for everybody, it'll probably be different based on their personality and yeah. experiences. I always tell people that spiritual practices are like uh, books, even good, important books, classic literature, give it, but you know, give it 50 pages. And if you don't connect with the book, move on, even if it is a great piece of literature, spiritual practices, they're good, they're all good, but they might not all connect with you and give it a go. And if it doesn't, or like you said, if it makes you anxious, uh, do a different practice, move on mm -hmm. to a different practice, don't abandon practices, but mm -hmm. make that practice, and you might come back to it, you know, a couple of years later, and, it, and you might have a completely different response mm -hmm. uh, with to that practice to after some time passes. Uh, one of the things you do in the book, and maybe we'll kind of wrap up our time talking about this, you take, you take us to deeper places. Um, I, I'm, I'm thinking about how to word this question. It's hard for, uh, if we could, if we attend church, let's say every Sunday, uh, but that's, but we're not really involved any, in any other way. I mean, it's hard for whoever's in that pulpit to take us to deeper places mm. in 20 or 30 minutes on, on, on one day a week, you know, right. Right. <laughs> and yet that's really where deeper growth happens. Would you agree? Uh, if you go deeper, yeah, taking us to wait. places. <laughs> right, right. And some of it's just slowing down, but you know, that you don't get a chance to slow down at any other time. And when people create space for that, you can quiet down to go deeper. But we have to choose. We have to choose mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the context of a, of a short time on a Sunday morning, we're, we're likely maybe maybe something in maybe the spirit of God will spark something in us that will and desire to go to a, a different place, a deeper space, mm -hmm. something that's said in that context uh, yeah. in our church. But um, but we have to find other ways often um, or, and tools to help us move into that space. Mm. Uh, what has been so important to you in going to deeper places? Mm. What has been transformational or, or why do you think this is really important to be writing about? Because I mean, it's, it's the larger thrust of your book. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think that we can really offer ourselves to anybody else very well, if we're not willing to go to the deeper places and that's where we find the places that need to heal. And so sometimes this is the hard work that I, <laughs> that, that I'm thinking some places in the book towards the back, people have told me they they're reading the book and then they're like, okay, I had to stop because this started bringing up things and I wasn't sure I was ready. And this is why I, I suggest read this book with at least another person. This is actually a book that I hope spiritual directors get to work through with other people because it helps that you have a companion. I'm actually going to, I should mention, I'm going to do this weekly um, books nice uh, on 27th of February, every week, every Sunday, 
to just companion with anybody who wants to read nice. through this with me because it does you do need a little bit of support when you're reading it yes. when you go to the deep places that are confusing or obscure you need to go to them because god wants us to heal in all those places but it doesn't mean it's going to be easy but i've found that like for instance a lot of times what we think is anger is actually grief mm-hmm. or sadness but yes. how are we going to know if we don't take the time to sit with the anger or go to the deeper places where that anger might be we are it's much easier to numb out or stay busy or keep scrolling you know so All i want to invite above. people yeah i want to invite people to go deeper and um and not because it's going to be this this fun time but you'll find re- the relief that you were hoping for yeah yeah, I think this really is a book that invites you into that space of healing, into mm-hmm. the space of God's healing specifically, you know, and um, yeah. well done. Um, the Wild Land Within, Cultivating Wholeness Through Spiritual Practice. Uh, what, your biggest hope, what's your biggest hope for someone who grabs a copy of the book? Mm. I hope that they feel the embrace of God. They feel truly beloved of God. Um that their story matters, even mm-hmm. if it's not um, a white story, a white dominant story, but also that um, that that journey is worth it to go into the places that might seem fearful, that might seem wounded, and um, that we need each other to do it. I want to tell people that Christianity is not a self-help situation. It's a, we help each other in community. That's yes. the big difference. Yes, um, that you get help. You can be hurt in community, but you. You can only then be healed in community. And and if you've been hurt, I, I have been, and lots of people have been hurt in community, but it doesn't mean that there aren't going to be ways to to find people to help bring you to wholeness. I think that we can see Jesus through those people and we can find them. Just keep looking. <laughs> I love that invitation. And I think the book is very invitational. The Wild Land Within. Lisa Colon Delay, thank you so much for being with us here on Faith Conversations. Thank you so much. And to everyone else, I always say, keep the conversation going.